This is Gotham TV Podcast, episode 74, about the Gotham season 2 finale, episode 22, Transference. Hey, this is Drew Powell. I play Butch Gilzean on Gotham, and you are listening to Gotham TV Podcast. Welcome back, detectives. Welcome back, Gothamites, to our finale podcast about Gotham Season 2, Episode 22, Transference. This is Gotham TV Podcast, Episode 74, and I'm one of your hosts, Derek. And I am, or am I not, one of your other hosts, John. Maybe I've been infiltrated by Clayface. <laughs> I think you might have a better wig than that. I have a massive grin on my face, though. <laughs> That's such an interesting bit of this episode, isn't it? Oh, I loved it. Yeah, we'll definitely yeah. get into discussing this episode. But as you may know, if you've been listening to our podcast, this is a big week for us and Gotham. Um, we had, obviously, the penultimate episode last week, uh, episode 21 of the series. And then I travelled to London for a special screening of the season two finale episode that we're going to talk about tonight, which was also attended by Sean Pertwee, Robin Lord-Taylor, and Corey Michael Smith, along with about only about 35 other people. So a really small room full of guests uh, there to watch the season finale in the UK. Yeah, rub it in, fuzzball. <laughs> Whilst I was left at home uh, editing the podcast. Well, you know, sometimes. Which I... was then reviewed and given a mark out of 10. <laughs> <laughs> so untrue, so untrue, listeners. Uh, but yeah, really good event. Really delighted to have been there. I think originally when uh, Channel 5 bought... Gotham in the UK. We'd been covering the show by like, for about eight months at that time when they when they released um, the first episode of season one, and we were invited over to the UK to watch the premiere at that time, but we weren't able to make it. So uh, this is our first opportunity to get to meet the lovely people in Channel Five. I want to say a huge thank you to them. Uh, made the evening great fun. Uh, lots of stuff going on for for Gotham fans. This, the small group of us that were there, and great to meet some of the other Gothamites. Uh, the evening kicked off, uh, which was great fun with. Um, some free cocktails, uh, all Gotham-related cocktails, and boy, were they strong. At this moment, I was drinking tea uh, up to uh, 23 minutes of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I'm only messing, obviously. Of course. That sounds... And what type of uh, cocktails were there? You did show me uh, the list, which made me even more jealous. I know, I know. They had the Gotham cocktail, which is probably the strongest cocktail I've tasted outside of uh, Long Island iced tea, and bourbon in there, and some martini in there. Was that the um, same vial of, of of liquid that was used by Theo Gallivan on Zargoid, <laughs> the, the Destroyer? Were no. you all breathing blue? Blue gas no, by the end of it, but I was quite happy after after two of them. I will admit, um, <laughs> but that sounds nice. And a, a, an Alfred, a gin Alfred, was there? Uh, I and there was a Catman inspired drink, an Alfred inspired drink, Enigma inspired drink. Yeah, lots of uh, lots of drinks. Lovely um, canapes but, as well. Yeah, I noticed that. I felt sorry for poor Robin Lord Taylor because there didn't seem to be an Oswald inspired drink. Yeah, there didn't seem to be a Penguin inspired one, unfortunately. Maybe it was all the cocktail umbrellas in in the in the drinks. That could have been it. That could have been it. But yeah, great start to the evening, and then uh, then we proceeded into a little auditorium where we uh, got. Introduced to the season finale by um, Ralph Little, who was the presenter for the evening. Uh, you may remember him for UK uh, viewer of TV. You may remember him from um, the Royal Family. The Royal Family and uh, Two Pints of Lager and a Packet of Crisps. I think was his other TV show. Yeah, he was also the lead singer of the Verve. <laughs> 
Well, he does look like Richard Ashcroft. <laughs> he looks a little bit like Richard Ashcroft. <laughs> but he did a great job. He's obviously a fan of the show. He does seem to know uh, Sean Pertwee quite well, actually. Um, seemed to be a fan of the show. Talked to the to the cast after the fact. We got uh, got all three members of the cast up on stage uh, to ask to, for a Q&A uh, specifically with the crowd that were there. Uh, one of the things, I suppose, just to make sure I say uh, up front, um, during the event, we weren't able to record anything or take any photographs ourselves uh, during the event. It was to ensure that there were no spoilers for the season finale coming out of the UK, uh, it was there was a funny moment when one of the people that uh, that is a fan of the show uh, was asked <laughs> to sign uh, her release form, saying she wouldn't release any spoilers about season two, and then said, "You do realize this aired a month ago in the US, so <laughs> so all the spoilers are out there on Twitter." But all of us obviously kept to our word. We're not going to spoil the episode before it airs, obviously. But she um, does have a fair point. Does, does. Uh, the fair maiden? <laughs> she did, yes. Uh, but it was a good, a, a fun little moment. Uh, I did obviously uh, say that we have had the problem um, with our Gotham Twitter account, where we do tend to get tagged into a lot of a lot of images at the final episodes. So I didn't get spoiled about this episode. I only knew one thing that happened in this episode before watching the finale, which was great fun watching it with an audience. There were some great moments in there. Uh, it's a crazy finale. I think when you called me after uh, after it aired to just ask me my general opinion, I just said. A bit mental, a bit crazy, but that's what we've come to expect from Gotham, really. So. Absolutely. It's what makes Gotham Gotham, yeah. ultimately. But you asked a question, did you not? Yes, I did get to ask a little funny question of uh, Go of, on. of Sean Pertwee. I did ask. It was a, a cookery-inspired question. Of, yes, I did get to ask a question. I asked Sean Pertwee, who is, uh, who is the voice of MasterChef UK. I asked him if he would have loved to do the narration for Oswald's signature dish uh, that was presented to his mother in uh, in one of the episodes uh, gave him a great laugh he had to uh, explain where the uh, where the joke came from to his fellow american cast members who uh, may not be as aware as the rest of us are of about how many years john pertwee is doing the masterchef show so sandra has confit the duck breast and poured a red berry jus over it <laughs> Or more likely, Oswald has sl- slaughtered his two uh, stepbrother and stepsister and is now serving them to his stepmother. Covered in blood. <laughs> I just thought it would have been a great With moment. a sprig of time. Right. But there was some really fun stuff that came out of that. There was, uh, the, as part of the inter- interview, um, Ralph Little asked the cast whether they had, had been inspired by the comic books. Uh, Sean Pertwee specifically said that he couldn't take much from the comic books because we haven't seen much of this side of Alfred. Uh, he, he referenced some of the books that he took as uh, a little bit of inspiration uh, when the older Alfred talks about his younger days in Batman Year One. Uh, he referenced that, but not a huge amount. And Earth One as well, wasn't and it? And Earth One, yeah. Uh, but he says he doesn't take a lot from the comic books themselves because he's trying to create a brand new version. He takes a lot from uh, the basics of Michael Caine's Alfred being, uh, you know, that kind of lovable um, local London guy, that kind of attitude he takes from him. Um, but he wants to be that character uh, much younger in a very different kind of version. Robin Lord Taylor talked about his inspiration coming from a, a, a specific book about the Penguin, that uh, where he's a young character and is constantly being um, abused and is constantly being beaten up by a bully in school. And eventually he learns karate and he learns to uh, to beat back this bully who eventually becomes King Shark. Uh, he knocks out his teeth at the end of that of that particular comic book. Okay, excellent. So yeah. quite a cool way to to cover that character. And again, Corey Michael Smith 
mentioned that there's not a huge amount of backstory of Nigma, so he does like the idea that he's creating him from scratch. But he has he did talk about some of the books that he read as well. Yeah, but there's Jim Carrey's uh, classic performance, <laughs> which he avoids, I think, completely uh, in his <laughs> role in the show. <laughs> but yeah, great time, really good to get to get to meet the guys afterwards as well. I got got to have uh, autographs from all three of them and get to say hello and get a get a photograph with them. So really, really fun start to the week. Sounds away. a great evening, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, it was really good fun, really good to meet them all and, and good to kind of shake their hands and say thanks for all the work they've done this year. Yeah, I think at this stage I was burning the midnight oil working on the webpage. <laughs> Sorry about this, John. But <laughs> I'm messing, at, at I'm least, messing. But at least we got to go and see Star Fury this weekend as Absolutely. well. Absolutely. We have recorded a little bit about that, about our experience of Star Fury, which will drop in at the end of our review of Season 2, Episode 22, Transference. Absolutely. But to hear about all things Gotham, including uh, season finale premieres, convention events as well as the finale of season two of gotham episode 22 remember that you can subscribe and listen to us at gothamtvpodcast.com forward slash itunes or search gotham tv podcast on any other good podcast catcher such as beyond pod podcast addict or player fm Absolutely. And if you want to keep the conversation going after the season is over, you can obviously send us emails to feedback at gothamtvpodcast.com. You can send us any kind of voicemails or any kind of uh, audio thoughts you want to send us by going to our website at gothamtvpodcast.com and pressing the send voicemail button. And if you want to keep the conversation going on even longer, even further, then you can come join the Gotham TV podcast community and other Gothamites on our Facebook group. Just go to facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash Gotham TV podcast or follow our Twitter handle at Gotham TV podcast. Yeah, our last live tweet of the year was uh, was there. I know. Yeah, uh, well, not, not the year, I suppose, because we're not going to be that long on break between uh, season two and season three. That's true. Um, this was very long for, for us. I mean, in a good way, but it did start back in early October when we were over in New York uh, for the comic convention. Mm -hmm. And um, obviously we caught up with the, um, I think, three or four episodes of Gotham that had heard uh, and watched one, obviously, at the event. And then we took a break until it came on to uh, UK and Ireland TV. So um, it's almost been a full 12 months of some description having Gotham going around That's and right. being and being aired uh, to the point where we actually re-released the first four episodes. That's right. But, yes, it won't be that long till uh, we come back. Um, it should be premiering again, at least, um, I would say, in the USA um, around September time right. again. Yes, and now Channel 5 have actually confirmed that they do have the rights to season three. They will be broadcasting it uh, in the UK, just like they have for the last two seasons. Hopefully, it'll be a lot closer uh, to the US airings than it has been this season. <laughs> yeah, that would be cool. But I think with that, um, it's on with our five-point discussion of the final episode of Gotham, Transference. Derek, what are some of the production case notes? Oh, yeah, the season finale, as usual, really, is written by uh, one of the head executive producers of the show, Bruno Heller, this time, took on the... Uh, and dare we say creator. Uh, yeah, yeah, the uh, the main creator for the show was is Bruno Heller, and he's been involved in the show since the very beginning, so he got the final episode of the show. Lots in here to tie up, so obviously great to have one of the regular writers and one of the main people behind the scenes in there. Uh, the show was directed by Eagle Eggleston, who again has been one of the main driving forces behind the direction. I think this is his fifth episode or sixth episode that he's directed of Gotham. Yeah, uh, definitely. Yeah, so really good to have his touch on board in the episodes. Uh, John, do you want to tell us what they gave us with your final 
Synopsis for Gotham Season 2, Episode 22, Transference. Sure. Jim Gordon, Bruce Wayne, and Lucius Fox are trapped at Indian Hill, held prisoners by Hugo Strange, as Basil, disguised as Jim Gordon, draws the GCPD away from Arkham Asylum. In the basement, Hugo Strange, using Truth Serum on Jim, along with Ed Nigma using the threat of poisonous gas on Bruce and Lucius, question the three hostages to find out what they really know about who controls Gotham. At the same time, Strange prepares to evacuate all of his test subjects upstate and to detonate a bomb to destroy all evidence of Indian Hill at the command of the Secretive Council. Fishmooney has other plans, bitch, and gains control of Miss Peabody, who allows her to break free of her cell. Fish wreaks havoc in Indian Hill, thwarting Strange's escape plan. As Bruce and Jim and Lucius also escape, aided by Selina Kyle, they manage to stop the bomb just in the nick of time to save Arkham and apprehend Strange. However, Fish escapes Arkham in a bus loaded with Indian Hill inmates, but encounters old friends, Oswald Cobblepot and Butch Gilzean, who mistakenly think they are taking out Professor Strange. As Butch and his gang flee at the sight of a resurrected Fish Mooney, a shocked Oswald is put to sleep by her newfound powers. In the aftermath, Jim leaves Gotham to find Leslie Tompkins. Harvey grudgingly accepts his role as captain of the GCPD, Bruce sets his sights on the secretive court, much to the irritation of Alfred, and the city of Gotham will be met with a new threat as strangers' creations escape the bus and start their new lives in Gotham. Yeah, loads of setup in here for season three. Absolutely. Loads and loads and loads and loads. Um, And it was just so really good. I mean, Mm -hmm. loads of juicy things. And even people who didn't make it onto screen, such as Captain Barnes, mm-hmm. um, such as Tabitha. You know, are they going to get resurrected from their hospital beds mm-hmm. um, and, and rejoin in season three in some capacity? Or will, I don't know, there be a huge electrical outage at Gotham General Hospital and Captain Barnes will be lost to us all? I really hope not. <laughs> <laughs> who, knows? Well, who knows? It, it could really happen. Absolutely. Um, there was some of that at the start of this season where a few loose ends just were quickly tied up. Mm-hmm. So I do wonder whether um, that might happen with maybe a couple of characters that weren't in this finale. But... I did absolutely love this. It, it was actually a really good tie-up, really. Mm-hmm. Uh, given that sometimes it can be really difficult to do, uh, this was a, a nice tie-up. It certainly tied up uh, Season 2. It certainly um, gave a lot uh, to think about with regards to what might happen in Season 3. Mm-hmm. Um, so, really good. Yeah, absolutely. It was great to see how they tied up the show. I loved how it was all leading to, to the big climax in Arkham Asylum. Uh, really liked that whole concept of having it just kind of right, right in one location where all of the characters get to meet up. Uh, Barbara's reappearance seemed a little bit odd, given that the last time we saw her, she kind of been kicked out of uh, Butch's house um, because of uh, how crazy she was getting. No, it, it was uh, a little odd, but... I am, I have to say, it's one of my points. It's definitely some great moments in there. But let's get into our points. Uh, if this is your first time joining us, uh, we know that some people join us for our first and final episode of a season, oddly enough. But if it's your first time joining us, um, we, the way we cover our episodes is we talk about our top five points about an episode, uh, whatever they may be, good, bad, some indifferent. And then we talk about our notes just to kind of go through the full episode. So, John, do you want to kick us off with your first point? Well, I'm going to roll with the old Babs, actually. Mm. Um, I think 
I really enjoyed having her back on screen and being fully compass mantis mm-hmm. i think as you say it was slightly weird that we had seen a, a bit of a wreck in the previous um episode that we'd seen i think it's maybe episode 19 or 20 she, you know she had kind of been a bit of a wreck she was thrown out of the king of gotham's uh house where, where butch and tabitha were mm. um tabitha obviously wanted her around but Butch wasn't having any of it. So it was odd that she was back and that she was back seemingly um, all right um, yeah. and not frazzled at all. But I actually really, really liked um, what she did in this episode. Me too, yeah. Um, I have absolutely, for season three, want to see Babs and Oswald working together. There's that great moment where she comes in to get information for him in the GCPD and she uses um, the police phone um, to call up Oswald. And to to be honest, this prospect of a season three team up where Babs is kind of a right hand woman for Penguin, um, I really want to see. I mean, yeah. Penguin's really chuffed with the the good work that she's done, um, and and I think that would be a really kind of interesting take for uh, for the Barbara Keane character. I mean, she's already taken so many twists and turns from what the comic book character is. That Absolutely. to be honest, at this stage. Just go with it. I really want to see her team up with uh, Oswald. And so I actually loved that she was working with um, both Oswald and also Butch Gilsey mm-hmm. in here. Um, and I loved the moment where, obviously, and we have to talk about this, is where Oswald is placing his new uh, decoration <laughs> in, in his home. Um, the, the The spiked head of Grace Van Dahl, um, preserved uh, and... I love how she just says, maybe that's a bit too central. You don't mm-hmm. want it to dominate the room. Um, absolutely classic. Um, really good little uh, bit of humor there. Mm-hmm. Um, really macabre. To, and, you know, I mean, again, we have Oswald here listening to the TV or, the, uh, or watching the TV, listening to the radio. And suddenly, you know, the, the smile of vengeance comes upon his face. You know, he's gotten grace. He's gone after Theo, and now there's the third and final to make the Trinity, which is Hugo Strange. Yeah. Um, and luckily, he doesn't get to him. Um, Strange has got to stick around. So good. Uh, but yeah, for me, Barbara, Strange, how she appeared and, and that she was fine. I loved what she did in this episode. It was really, really good. Yeah, totally agree. I, I just kind of maybe needed one little extra scene, perhaps with Butch calling her to come back because he's lost Tabitha now. She's in hospital. Uh, maybe he just wanted to call her up and say, I need a bit of support. Do you want to come back over? Or maybe she's there because he's told her about Tabitha being put in hospital, something like that. Just a little scene. Uh, it's very possible it was something that was filmed and then edited out or was in the original script and then edited out. Um, look, Again, I love these scenes of Barbara. I think she's really, really good. There's the other one that I want to, uh, I want to talk about, which is my first point, which is obviously Clayface as Jim Gordon in this episode. Uh, Barbara plays a big part in, in this bit, but I really loved it. I thought the humor was really well played. Uh, it's great to see Ben McKenzie doing something different other than the normal Jim. Gordon in the show. Yeah, uh, rather like really than brooding Jim Gordon, we got smiley Jim Gordon. Yeah. I liked smiley Jim Gordon. It was good fun. Yeah, it yeah. was good fun. What I couldn't understand, though, is 
how did Harvey not see through it? Um, is he just drunk again? Is that why he didn't see through the whole act? Because it's plainly not Jim Gordon. Something has clearly happened to him. Uh, they are aware of obviously Galavan being brought back. They're aware of some strange going on in Arkham. Uh, I know it's a bit of a leap to think that your friend may have been replaced by a clone. Do understand that. But there's some moments there where you're kind of going, Harvey, you're a detective. You know that something's <laughs> wrong with your best no, he's friend. He's a captain. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he is, a, he is a, you know, higher pay grade and still doesn't get it. I think it is. It's the whiskey. I think it is. Um, you know, he's never truly understood who or what Jim is because mm-hmm. he's been so belubers uh, with, with whiskey. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, he still thinks this is just Jim. But I love the incessant smiling and winking from Jim Gordon here, or Clayface Jim Gordon. Mm-hmm. It was just so much fun. I mean, I think that must be one of the things that must be great for characters, where they have to play someone else, a doppelganger, mm. uh, of which there is another one we see um, towards the end, and no doubt we will come to. Yes, we will. But it just allows to provide some variation on that character yeah. uh, where they can play something different. Um, and certainly I think for a, a TV series where it's week in, week out, I think that must be really important yeah. for, a, for a character actor. And it certainly looks like Ben McKenzie's having so much fun with it after 43 episodes of playing Jim Gordon, the stoic professional detective. I think he's been in every single episode. And there's an episode without him. No. In fact, even an episode with just him and Oswald, really. So it looks, it's great to see him having so much fun with this part and, and kind of lampooning his version of the character, I suppose. Definitely. And just coming back to Harvey Bullock, in his defense, he does say that uh, Jim looks like a sack of fish mm-hmm. uh, at one point. And also the officer that um, Jim refers to as Hoss um, does say, you look kinky. <laughs> Sorry, I mean hinky. <laughs> I mean hickey. Hinky. Hinky. Yes. Yeah. Which I don't actually know what that means. It's it's like something out of uh, Scooby Doo. Do you remember Velma and Scooby Doo used to say those kind of words? Ah, oh, jinkies. Uh, oh, okay. So instead like, of like swear words, it's kind of just it's the the at symbol and the hashtag <laughs> and the exclamation. Kind mark. of like that. Yeah. yeah. You look off. Really, is yeah. all that he's saying. Yeah. You look hashtag. Yeah. Just you look a bit weird. Yeah. Yeah. So it, you know, he maybe did think there was something odd, mm. but you never know. Absolutely. But I love that it takes Barbara's. Um, no knowledge of Jim Gordon to kind of break the spell that everybody else seems to be under. You know, even Alfred is kind of going, I know there's something weird about you. Uh, I love that he kind of, he turns around to uh, to Harvey and says, are you taking care of this? <laughs> Knowing again, in his mind somewhere, this isn't Jim Gordon. Uh, but it takes Babs's moment with him where, where she says, where he's suddenly back into her again and trying to say, you know, do you want to go out on a date with me? Um, kind of thing. And then she says, well, what about Lee? And he goes, uh, screw that hoe. Is that right? It certainly is. Yeah. Um, I just love Jim's, or Clayface Jim's honesty. To be honest, all of this was like um, the reverse of, this is what I felt Jim Gordon was always thinking about Barbara. Oh, screw that. <laughs> um, but he's saying about Jim, and that's yeah. why Barbara immediately knows uh, this isn't that. Jim. Um, you know, spring is coming, the rabbits uh, are about to get their, their act on. So, I mean... Clayface Jim has got one thing on mm-hmm. on his mind here, um, and Barbara knows exactly um, 
that this isn't the real Jim Exactly, Gordon. yeah. Really loved these moments. Uh, love this version of Jim. I think it's great fun. Uh, and again, this character can come back in the future. They have uh, they have captured him, clearly, and they have put him into prison, I presume. Um, but again, that little right hook that reveals that uh, this is Clayface from Barber. A really good moment for her in the episode. Uh, that's my first point. John, do you want to take us on to your next one? Yeah, it's more of a question. What is going to happen to Strange? He is, you know, arrested for sure. That's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, his plan has gone completely awry or, you know, him trying to destroy all evidence of Indian Hill, mm. move the, the inmates up to uh, a, a new facility upstate. That's all gone absolutely awry here. Um, but yeah, he's arrested. No doubt he might find himself back in, uh, his own facility in Arkham, given that it didn't blow up. That's right. Um, but, he was also both um, fired and iced at the same time. <laughs> and nice. I'm wondering, does that do anything to his his brain? You know, he had the, the frost on one side and he was glowing slightly on another. So, okay, Hugo Strange is a bad person, but does that send him maybe um, psycho bad mm. rather than simply um, officious bad like he has been. I mean, ultimately he's taking orders here. He's kind of, you know, he's that, the man in the white coat just taking orders, mm. um, and not thinking about the implications of it. Is he a bit like that? Is he fully invested? And now will something happen? Will he get, um, sort of fried in Arkham himself right. if he's locked up there? Will he be taken to Blackgate? Will the warden become the inmate? Like Exactly. Yeah. Or, and this is the other thing, and this is why I sort of pose it as a question. Yes, he's arrested. Does he go to Arkham? Does he go to Blackgate? Does he become sort of really bad Hugo Strange, like we know from the comics mm-hmm. as well? Or will the Court of Owls uh, catch up with him? That's true. Given the information he knows, given the questions he was asking uh, Jim with the truth serum, given um, all of that, you know, the Court of Owls, that secretive council is bound to want to get rid of all leads to back to them. Absolutely. And maybe this allows the setup of Talon in season three mm. with the objective of getting after Hugo Strange. And maybe um, that would be a really cool thread running, at least maybe initially in season three. Yeah, yeah. The actual warning that the, that the head of the court gives to him is you can't let any more of your creatures, your monsters escape into the city of Gotham. <laughs> That's the big warning. She says you've had one, one got out. That's now gone. That's cleared up, but no more are able to escape. And every single one of them escape into Gotham. So, Oops. I, absolutely. So I presume he is on the hit list for the court, definitely. So it'd be interesting to see if that's how they bring in Talon. That'd be quite cool. The assassin of the court of elves. That'd be quite cool if they got to bring him in next season. Absolutely. Mm. Derek, what's your next point? I want to bring in Peabody versus Fish Mooney. Um, Absolutely. I loved this scene just because I thought it was hilarious. Uh, a really good um, kind of slapstick moment. It's almost uh, my Batman 66. There's a better one later on in the episode. Uh, I just loved that Fish's hand is sticking out of the cell <laughs> uh, as Peabody inches closer to her and she misses catching her once and then misses catching her a second time. And then the third time Peabody walks in to give her her injection to knock her out. Uh, Peabody says to her, give me your right arm. And you see the flicker in uh, in Fish Mooney's eyes where she goes, that's exactly what I wanted to do for the last two hours when I've been missing you, you know, a nice, a funny little moment for uh, for Fish. Um, but yes, we have uh, Peabody controlled by uh, by Fish Mooney again. 
it's just going to prove that fish doesn't just have to ask for cheese sandwiches. She can get more out of the people she controls, which is good. Uh, gets on the escape route out of the facility using the best person possible, which is Ethel Peabody. Uh, I love these scenes between the two of them. Really good fun, uh, particularly when fish is trying to get a rise out of Pe- Peabody and says to her, I'm not number 13. Maybe your mama is. And Peabody comes back to her and says, you are reanimate test subject 13 and you best not talk about my mama. <laughs> Loved that little moment, a little, another little strong moment from Ethel Peabody. But once she's actually been touched by Fish Mooney, I love the fact that Ethel goes, I'm sad. Right. <laughs> like she, Fish Mooney is really right about her that, you know, she is slightly sort of cut off and sad by having this job. Yeah. Um, and that was really cool. Yeah. I like that. Yeah, I really, really enjoyed this scene. And one of the scenes that I absolutely loved with Ethel Peabody, and I will say this got the biggest laugh from the audience that we were with, and it is my Batman 66 moment from the episode. Absolutely. Is, is when Jim and uh, Lucius are trying to disarm a bomb, something that happened almost every episode in the Batman 66 show. Uh, they do disarm it as the number gets to uh, one second as well. Great Batman 66 moment. But my favorite moment of it is Ethel Peabody on the floor supposedly giving them the way to defuse the bomb, which is water. <laughs> Jim runs off to get the water. You see Ethel lying on the floor, stretching out as he runs past. Uh, and then he <laughs> pours the water into the bomb. It diffuses the bomb. And then Ethel goes, water, I need water. <laughs> I need some water. And Lucius and Jim have this great exchange of looks between the two of them going, oh, she wasn't even telling us how to defuse the bomb. Uh, great moment. Got a yeah. really good laugh at the audience. For the and I mean, even the bomb itself is a Batman 66 moment. Oh, you totally. know, this, this huge globe of pure destruction mm-hmm. with flashing knobs and, and twiddly wires and the countdown. It lands on one and yeah. Really, really Batman 66. Absolutely. One thing I did notice was that there had been an upgrade in the uh, bomb to place onto gates or to uh, doors to blow off the the bloody doors. Um, It was... In season one, Penguin uses that to to infiltrate into uh, Falcone's and Maroney's inner circle. Mm-hmm. And I have a classic Batman 66 uh, bomb, door bomb, with bells and twiddly wires coming out of it. Uh-huh. Uh, the Strike Force, GCPD Strike Force bomb has been upgraded from it that. Has, um, yeah. But it still looks like 70s sci-fi mm-hmm. now. It's gone from uh, 60s Batman to 70s sci-fi. Absolutely. That is the timeless quality of uh, Gotham that we've we come to expect. Uh, John, do you want to take us on to your next point? Yes, I have another question. Mm. Who owns Wayne Enterprises? John is becoming our own Riddler for this episode. (laughs) But of course, it won't be poisonous gas Mm -hmm. (laughs) I release into the room. Help me, listeners. (laughs) In fact, actually, that is one of the other points, which was the poisonous gas. It was knockout gas, Ed. That's right. Well, maybe he didn't know everything. In fairness to Ed, he did seem fairly shocked that he wasn't suddenly elevated to second in command mm. um, at Arkham Asylum. But who owns Wayne Enterprises? And I just really like the fact that you have, you know, Quizmaster Ed uh, asking the same questions of Bruce and Lucius uh but in a much more theatrical way. Oh, yes. Um, and then you obviously then have um, Strange going to work on, on Jim Gordon with the truth serum. Mm. And I just really liked the, 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 the same questions coming out. But, I mean, from this, I thought, um, yeah, the, the quiz master ad was just classic. And we saw that at the end of the last episode. But, as well, the 
truth serum, the way that was portrayed um, with, with the, the camera and with the editing and so on, I thought was really very cool. It was a where, cool touch, yeah. Where sort of Hugo Strange is behind Jim and he says, you know, I am God, I gave you these this guilt and now I take it away. But the the, the blue and again, that, that kind of white specks, I, I love how they've... And really characterized Hugo Strange in the psychedelic colors. And um, we've had that previously and we had it again here uh, where again he's wagging his finger and the fingers kind of going into multiple fingers. And mm. um, as he's speaking very soothingly to, to Jim to, to get him to uh, tell him everything he knows. And I, I just think that use of the, the effects is really cool and it's really nice for the character of, um, of Hugo Strange. Uh, we even see it were uh, when Firefly and uh, Mr. Freeze are fighting, where mm-hmm. you have one of his lenses uh, of his glasses is showing the ice and the other showing the fire. Really great, great scene. And, and, a great gift. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Properly, properly good. But obviously, it, it brings to an extent, um, you know, this question who owns Wayne Enterprises? Even if they didn't find out that there was a secretive court, it poses that question in Bruce's mind. Mm. Uh, and I love the fact that this ultimately leads to, unfortunately for Alfred, who seemed to want to settle up in front of the fire <laughs> with a nice hot cocoa, um, <laughs> yeah. once Bruce now has spurred him on in very much a different direction. Again, something we've talked about before where, you know, is he going to investigate Wayne Enterprises? Mm. I mean, this, like uh, Enigma, is now actually becoming a really nicely paced, drawn out uh, thread through um, the the two seasons so far. Yeah. yeah, I think we started at the beginning of this season thinking that this was all going to lead to Bruce investigating Wayne Enterprises. We'd seen some stuff in season one uh, with some of the board of directors and some of the other members of Wayne Enterprises being quite uh, being obviously bad people uh, so we thought this was all going to lead to that we've now gone through the full 22 episodes of the season and Galavan has distracted Bruce's attention enough as has Hugo Strange now um, from that mission that he was setting himself to clean up Wayne Enterprises so hopefully this is something that we're going to get more of in season three uh, I was laughing at the question from Ed Nigma where he's saying to him who controls Wayne Enterprises and there was no mention at all by Bruce or by Lucius saying, is it Bruce because he owns it? Is that not who controls it? <laughs> just one of those moments where I was thinking that they had five minutes to talk it over. It never crossed their mind to say, is Bruce controlling it? But he isn't. We know it's the court. Uh, I love the, the little interplay in there. Um, my One of my other points was actually about that discussion between Hugo Strange and uh, Jim Gordon. Uh, it's just want to come back to it because I really liked one of the moments in there where it's kind of always a, psych- a psychiatrist, once a psychiatrist, always a psychiatrist with Hugo Strange. While he's getting information out of Jim, he's also helping him out with his problems, which I thought was really interesting for Hugo. He's saying to him, oh, you feel guilt about that. Oh, you feel guilt about the loss of your child, about the fact that you don't live up to your father's legacy. Um, well, I'm going to help you out here, Jim. I'm going to remove all of that guilt. I'm going to remove all those responsibilities. It's interesting that he's still doing that. He's still trying to help his patient. I like that little, that little touch of the character. Um, now, we don't know whether it is for the nefarious reason of him trying to get rid of Jim from the city. He tells him you should, you should be led by love, not by these responsibilities you've put on yourself. Is it a good thing or a bad thing? I don't know. Um, for the show and for, and for, um, the people of Gotham, it's probably a bad thing that Jim's leaving the city. He is the one that's supposed to be saving them from all of these bad things. 
was that Theo's intention or is he genuinely trying to help him? It's kind of an open question for me by the end of the episode. Well, that's the interesting thing um, that is posed here for season three is, will we see less of Jim Gordon in season three? Maybe some episodes were... He's not in it. Who knows? Uh, that could very much be one of the new aspects of, of season three. Maybe. If Jim does go off to find Leslie Tompkins and that is played out over a few episodes, mm. or will we just see a time jump? Uh, and of course, that might all be dependent on how quickly uh, David Mazous uh, grows during the summer. That's true. Yeah. Uh, because we have that flashback in this episode after Bruce has been knocked out by the knockout gas. Absolutely. Um, where it, it it's it flashes back and you see how incredibly young uh, David Mazous was from the first episode of season one and even midway through season one where he's trying that jump for the first time which then becomes successful in, in this season yeah so really um really interesting just to see how much um change there has been in the um, actor of David Mazous mm. during the time he's been filming uh, Gotham. So it's really interesting to see how much of a change has occurred for David Mazous as an actor in the time since that first episode. Absolutely. And so maybe there will just be that time jump and we it really doesn't become part of the story. Yeah. What um, I, you could get that. What I kind of like about the setup towards the end of this episode is that it is setting up threads for season three, but none of them have to be resolved instantly, which I like. It's not like we have to come back. It's not like this huge cliffhanger, really, that uh, we have to see something tie up at the beginning of the next episode. I know we've got the creatures released on the streets, but you could easily say that, you know, that we've been gone three months from the city and they've captured some of them and some of them are still on the loose, you know, and that's an easy way to just skip a bit of time in between now and then. You could have Jim living now in the south with Le with Lee and then they make a decision to move back to Gotham, all happening off screen in their break between season two and season three. So I like how it's been left here. I like that everybody's got their own little mission to do, but none of them are really time sensitive there's no ticking time bomb that they have to catch or something like that Absolutely, nobody's yeah. tied up in a basement uh, or anything like that everybody has their choices to make in their decisions as to how they continue next so um so while so while there is a lot of new threads that are started here none of them really seem too too time sensitive uh, that we couldn't have a big a big jump of uh, three or four months just to accommodate a change in scenery and a change in style for next season absolutely so, John, do you want to take us on to your next point? Yeah, it's um, the meeting of the penguin and the fish mm -hmm. uh, again. And uh, again, maybe a tagline for season three came out of this uh, this hookup uh, where penguin goes impossible. And Fish Mooney, once she touches his face and you see that glow um, and that power transferring, she goes, nothing is impossible. And quite frankly, uh, given what, ultimately comes walking out of um, the back of that bus. Yes, nothing potentially is impossible. Absolutely. So that could be uh, one of the taglines for season three. I love the fact that they meet up again. Um, we don't know where Fish goes to. I wish she was like dragging Oswald by the, the heel um, and the ankle away. 
Uh, and it'd be fantastic if they could hook up again, or even if Butch and Fish could do that. I mean, Butch just runs. I know. He, he's probably going, oh my goodness, she's going to kill me for what I've done. I've betrayed her and all mm-hmm. this kind of thing. But, but um, they did settle their, their dispute at the end of season one before. Um, they did, but to see her back, you know, yeah. um, I, it's really going to sure be interesting to wrong. see what happens. <laughs> yeah. I really hope that um, Jada Pinkett Smith persists in season three for a good while. I really like Fish Mooney. I mm-hmm. love the old wagging of the finger and the click click. Um, love that. Absolutely classic for that character. I love the fact that her superpower is an enhanced form of her human ability. Yeah. I love the fact that you've got the, you know, you've got the trio back together of Butch, Fish and, uh, Oswald. At least on the screen, not necessarily as a team. Mm. I, I love um, that fact. It would be interesting to see how that plays out in season yeah. three. And what I did notice in this episode is that we didn't get the resolution of who is the king of Gotham right now. So now we've got the three people who have claimed the throne of Gotham together in a scene. You've got Oswald, who is king of Gotham, Butch, who took over the seat of king of Gotham, and the queen of Gotham, who lost her seat when thrown off the side of a building by Oswald. Uh, but now that all three of them are back in a scene together with no resolution to that, no discussion about it. Even. Well, it, it, that's really interesting. One of the things, I think, when Oswald was intent on hunting down um, Hugo Strange and was out for revenge again, it, it suddenly occurred to me, you know, Butch is there um, sat with Oswald, Barbara is there, and I just in my notes kind of went interesting. Butch has fallen into line. Yeah. Um there has been no um battle for the throne of the King of Gotham. He seems to have fallen in line with the return of the penguin mm-hmm. and has kind of succeeded his his throne to the old king. Yeah. Um and there has been really no discussion of that which is kind of interesting i think yeah so it will be interesting whether there will be any more of that now that fish has come back i think one final aspect that i really want to pull out is that as fish escapes from her cell in arkham and and hugo strange sees that miss peabody has helped her out he goes there'll be revolution and an apocalypse if you were seen in public yeah and of course fish mooney not only will be seen in public, but she has released the other monsters into public. So here comes the revolution for Gotham. Here ultimately comes the true descent into chaos that was all forewarned in season one. Mm -hmm. In season three, no doubt. Exactly. Interesting little moment. I do like the fact that there's a little touch there that they're not actually seen any of them. So the hobo that releases them, as she's described in the credits, um, the, the old woman that releases them from the from the bus loses her glasses, so she can't actually focus on any of them. So we can't focus on any of them. We can only guess as to who the characters are who are released from the bus. Um, and I'm going to take that as one of my points, I think, um, because it's fascinating. I love when they do this kind of stuff. The reveal of Indian Hill back in episode 13, I think it was, yeah, where something it was like that. where we saw Galavan, we thought we saw Fish, we thought we saw uh, Jerome in Indian Hill. Um, we've had some other characters shown, and in this episode, they get to do some crazy character creations um, for this moment where we can't see as an audience who those people are. Uh, will we be able to match them up in season three? Will we be able to go, oh, that really small crouched character? Uh, oh, that's such and such a character from um, from the Batman mythology. Um, the couple of things that we did get, obviously, we finally got confirmation 
I think anyway that that was Killer Croc. Uh, yeah, that was the most visible, the the, the most clear um, person right, that that inmate test subject that came out of that um, bus uh, after it crashed. Definitely, exactly. And in the credits, he's also named as Scale Skin Man, so the man with scales for skin, which is different to what we were positing. I think we had some options when we were watching the episode originally. Definitely, there is another clear person that came out of that. Uh, bus as well there is yes yes the bruce doppelganger there's someone that looks just like bruce with goth hair yeah it's goth bruce um <laughs> who's just about to track down an anthony and the johnson's concert or maybe a him concert i think <laughs> possibly um but maybe a cure concert yeah. interesting that was very very interesting yeah. to see a bruce doppelganger this has potential chaotic implications because Okay, you had the long hair, mm -hmm. but he also sounded like Bruce. It yes. wasn't kind of the Clayface um, Jim Gordon that just didn't quite add up. This sounded, it was purely the appearance, but enough um, hair gel and a bit of uh, a cut at the barbers. And mm -hmm. um, then you could almost see that maybe this Bruce Wayne has been created in order to replace the old Bruce Wayne, mm. so that the people who control Wayne Enterprises have a puppet at the head of the corporation. That's really interesting, So yeah. that, to me, was an interesting thing, that mm. this is um, a replacement for Bruce Wayne in order that Wayne Enterprises is fully under the control of the Secretive Council. Yeah. That's how I kind of took it. Um, you know, And that would be very cool if you have this doppelganger set out to disrupt Bruce Wayne and to ultimately replace him. Yeah, yeah. It's an interesting one in the comic books, and I hope I don't spoil anything for those of you that don't read the comic books, and I hope you don't mind me speculating on this one. Um, but in the comic books, one of the most well-known doppelgangers of Bruce Wayne is Tommy Elliot, who gets his face replaced to look like Bruce Wayne. Um, so I wonder if that's how they're going to handle some of the Tommy Elliot storylines, because we did see Tommy in season one, um, He's kind of disappeared. We never saw him in any of the scenes where Bruce went back to the school. Um, so I wonder if they're going to handle those storylines that you would, that you would need a, someone that looks very like Bruce Wayne. I wonder if this is how they're going to handle that. They're going to use some of those storylines with this version of the Bruce Wayne doppelganger. I don't think it's Tommy Elliott who's had his face replaced. I don't think that's the, that's what they've done. I but do that think kind of storyline yeah. could come in through this. Absolutely. We also had Waddle Man. And <laughs> um, there was kind of a deformed hand, yeah, um, that was there as well. That was like an X Files kind of alien, is the way I yeah, took it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, it seemed as though Storm from X Men had somehow <laughs> um, made her way into uh, Arkham. That was kind of the candy floss grey hair, big white it? hair, yeah, that was kind of there. I just immediately thought Storm from X Men. But, Interesting. Um, it could be. Someone else. There seemed to be someone who looked like they had a mask, almost like Scarecrow, mm. Scarecrow type mask, uh, which was kind of interesting. Yeah. So, uh, is that Scarecrow version one? Is that Jonathan Crane's father that maybe has been resurrected? Oh, I was thinking more. Was John, is it not Jonathan Crane himself who went insane and they put him in the asylum? Yeah, it could be absolutely. Yeah. Um, Can I take the big one? Yes. We did hear the big ones got to be Bruce's doppelganger. Absolutely. But there was one character that we saw who had a bag over his head, and I think 
that might be the other character whose laugh we heard. We definitely heard the Jerome laugh. It's it's the exact one that we heard uh, in the episode that uh, Cameron Monaghan played the Joker for the first time. It's that laugh that we hear replayed as they all escape from the bus. Definitely. So a nice little uh, nice little touch there, just showing that we'll hopefully see Jerome back again in future. He's now left the asylum. We've got the explanation now from all of the other monsters that uh, Hugo Strange has created. We've got the explanation why he may not be able to remember that history that he had before he went into the asylum. If he's had been imprinted with something by uh, Hugo Strange, it's very likely that he doesn't remember his past. So um, that's quite cool. Nice little touches there. Uh, so hopefully we'll get to see. Like that they left the door open for Jerome. He's such a popular character for the show, and I think a lot of a lot of people were very disappointed that the character was killed off. Even though he's not the Joker, uh, as long as he's this Gotham's version of the Joker, I think people will be really happy to see Jerome back in season three. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, so I really enjoyed that. Loved that scene. Uh, one of my one of those really good ones that you really makes you look forward to next season. And yes, of course, just like every other Gotham fan, we sat pausing it, rewinding it, seeing if we could see anything. But they're very smart about keeping it uh, quite blinded from the audience as to who those characters are. So uh, there'll be some exciting stuff to see in the next season definitely john do you want to give us your final point of the season yeah it is selena's simple psychology um i really like this part in the episode i just really thought it resonated with her character and this is the uh, second time in a row now that this has happened Mm. where ultimately selena is a class act in playing the game and we see here that she comes in, she's really giving Bruce a hard time, looks like she really is just going to leave and get out of there, but ultimately comes back to break out uh, Bruce, Lucius, and Jim, and she just says it's simple psychology. I was waiting for the right moment. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, she's gotten away from um, Bridget, you know, crazy fire uh, fly Bridget, and she's gotten away from Strange. He's on the other side of this epic battle being taking place between fire and ice, you know, very Game of Thronesy. Um <laughs> she comes back to rescue the 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 three um the three guys trapped by Hugo Strange. Mm. So I just thought, you know, the heroic moment for for Selena, which was really cool. And it just resonates with her character that yes, okay, she's dubious, she's grey, she's not particularly a hero either, but sometimes she is heroic. Uh, and uh, it isn't all just about her, no matter how much she um, obviously would wish people to think otherwise. She does have some conscience uh, hidden away. And again, I just thought this really resonated uh, with the character. And I I love Cameron Beacondover's portrayal as well in in the episode and from uh, the last episode as well. Definitely. I also love her new haircut, I must say. I think it's really cool. Uh, this is the new straight hair rather than the uh, rather than the curly hair. I think that's really cool. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, she's obviously been licking it. <laughs> yeah, I also love her portrayal. The episode really, really good, really enjoyable. Um, I've just got a couple of notes about the episode. I don't think I have any other major points about the episode. Uh, although it was, I think this was a great fun episode. Uh, I thought there were some really good touches in here. I've got to close out with some Bullockisms of the week uh, because Harvey Bullock had some great moments in this episode. Um, I loved when Clayface Jim Gordon arrives at the station and says to Harvey, don't worry about it. 
Um, he's connected with people that we don't want to go anywhere near. And Harvey goes, uh, who isn't in this town? My, my mechanics connected, <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, uh, like that one. Uh, you look like a sack of fish is, is another one. And then the final one is, uh, when Jim says, Oh, the reason I'm acting strangely or Clayface Jim says, the reason I'm acting strangely is because I've got the flu. And Harvey responds to him going, well, keep away from me because I'm hoping to get laid this weekend. <laughs> you know, with everything else going on in the city, of course, Harvey's still thinking about his weekend. Absolutely. I think another great one is, um, you know, as Alfred says, right move, mate, to to uh, Jim. Mm. Jim turns to Harvey and says, you're the boss now. You know, you look after the city. Mm-hmm. I've got more important things to do. And uh, maybe get a haircut. Yeah, yeah maybe get a haircut. <laughs> he hops into the car and as it drives off, as he speeds away, Harvey's like, that's my car. As like this hand comes out and... Uh, Jim's waving goodbye. That's uh, really good. I like that little uh, Alfred touch that he's the he's the true romantic here. Follow your heart, Jim. Follow your heart. Go get after Lee. Uh, like that, like that little touch. And I know I said it before, but I just loved Alfred's expression as um, he hears that Bruce still has a quest to mm-hmm. do. It is just great. It's I love. Yeah. I just loved it. Yeah, really good. Uh, final point for me is Butch Gilzine and his weapons again. We had uh, we had our our rocket launcher um, moment uh, a couple of weeks ago. This week we have him as the Terminator carrying a gigantic <laughs> chain gun. That was awesome. Uh, I'm wondering who Butch Gilzine could possibly be morphing into as a character. You know, Robocop. He pretty much like he does seem to have the command of every type of weapon. That's what they seem to be giving him. We had them, had him with shotguns uh, early on. We had him with huge weapons when he had his own gang. Uh, we then had him with the rocket launcher when Oswald gets him to take a Galavan. And now we have him with the chain gun. So, um, so it seems like he's master of weapons. If you look at, if you looked at his attributes and who, the who's who of the DC universe, you'd probably see him as master of weapons, you know? I really like these touches for the characters of Butch. Uh, really nice to see that as well. And obviously, yeah, poor old Ed getting locked back up into, uh, into to the bells of Arkham Asylum uh, being left out, even though he was hugely helpful to both uh, Team Good Guy and to uh, Team Strange. Um, they give him no credit. Nobody gives him any credit. They just throw him into a prison. Yeah. Um, both times throw him back into his cell. So this this is probably driving Ed to be even more untrusting of people around him. Um, yeah, well, ultimately, the great thing about it is that he's being dismissed again now as the Riddler just as much uh, as he was when he was good Ed Nigma in the GCPD. Nothing ultimately has changed for him. He's being dismissed. Strange goes, you, you did really well, but you're a psychopath. There's only so much I can learn from you. You know, you're unhinged yep. in the cell. He helps Jim. He goes, what's in it for me? You stay alive. Yeah back in the cell. So he is just being ignored again. And I wonder if we're going to have a true psychosis moment um, with with Ed Nigma. Mm-hmm. That would be awesome. You know, there are a few um, comic uh, books and graphic novels out there where um, the Riddler is the brains behind everything. Mm-hmm. And I just wonder whether, you know, it's always the thing He's always seen as being underestimated and taken for granted, uh, really dismissed as a threat. But there are some great graphic novels around which have the main antagonist as the Riddler. And I have to say, I love those ones. Yeah. In fact, uh, Corey Michael Smith spoke about one of them when he was at the, the finale um at Channel 5 last week, uh, he spoke about one of them where effectively the plan of Riddler is that he releases some information about 
um, at some embarrassing information about some upper echelon members of Gotham, um, which leads to them being accused by all, all the people around them and then killing themselves. And he saw that as something that the Riddler would, that his version of the Riddler would be really interested in doing. Effectively, he's not killing anybody. They're killing themselves and they're having society turn on them because they did something embarrassing to themselves. So they are the cause of their own downfall, which are really like the twist on, on Riddler. Absolutely. And if it's upper echelons, it could be members of the secretive council. Well, yes, but he specifically spoke about Bruce Wayne as being one of the victims at, in that story. But yeah, absolutely. Which could, could be, be very cool for season three. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I think that's it for our coverage. I think it is. Season two of Gotham. 74 episodes so far, all about uh, season one and two of Gotham. Loads of discussion that we've had so far. Overall, John, how do we think season two went in comparison to season one? Well, firstly, for the episode, I definitely would give this um, four goth Bruces out of five. <laughs> um, absolutely uh, really enjoyed uh, just the chaos and mayhem of it all. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the coming together of the season two threads, but also... I think this is what Gotham does really well. And certainly, you know, writing it in a way where you know there's a season three, you can also, you know, provide that alternative perspective of here are some real juicy bits for what's to come in season three. And mm-hmm. I think, you know, having the knowledge that you have a season three, that can always help for the finale. It really helps to close it out by giving just these intriguing juicy snippets and i thought this just did it really really well yeah and so i think you know the dice are in the air it's all to play for for season three i certainly hope they keep fish and hugo strange you know i really really do uh fantastic well neither of them were blown up with uh, rocket launchers so i presume they're coming back yeah exactly (laughs) but i mean for a long time i hope it's not just maybe for a couple of episodes in season three and then that's it Mm-hmm. In terms of season two, I think I still need to think about season two, but I think initially for me, it is much stronger than season one. Mm. Um, I, I really do think that, I think they found their groove in season two. I think the knowledge of having a full, in, uninterrupted 22 episodes uh, has allowed them to go down a particular route and they've gotten into the groove of that route. There's been a few points where it didn't just work, work out um, for me, uh, but it was only a couple of episodes. But I think they've they've learned from season one. I think they've got the benefit uh, as opposed to in season one where they know they've got all 22 episodes. Yeah. And I think it's really helped with the delivery of the storyline. And I like how um, they have moved it just into a place of chaos and mania. I, I, I think that really works. I think ultimately um, after the midpoint of season one, they were either going to maintain a route that was very much Gotham Central um, where it was focused on the GCPD and you would bring in characters along those lines. The problem with that ultimately was that Gotham Central was always um, set where Batman existed. Mm -hmm. So you couldn't quite do it like Gotham Central because you couldn't introduce the Joker because the Joker's not there yet yeah. because Batman's not there to save um, the GCPD. Mm-hmm. Um, so just on the v- very basis that the premise that there's a young Bruce finding his destiny, you couldn't do it that way. And I think now by introducing effectively genetics and, and a research program uh such as with X-Men, you know, um, 
that can introduce all these weird goings on that we know from the universe. Uh, they can be version ones, they can be prototypes, they, they can be all those types of characters that we love, or it can be that character and yeah. it can be really the, the background of, of how they become the big bad or like with Bruce, how they become the, the, the big good, yeah. um, in, in Batman. Then, I think it's really worked this season too. I, I think as well, having the ensemble element of it has really made it work very well. So I think overall, I would give this four fish moonies bitch out of five. <laughs> yeah, I must admit the second season of the show has been really enjoyable to watch. I love the choice that they made to break it completely in the US. And we, we have gotten to see it. Uh, pretty much uninterrupted. I think we had a one-week break uh, in the full 22 episodes of this season. Uh, I love the idea there was a very distinct end to the first half of season one and a very distinct beginning to the second half. Uh, a huge cliffhanger in between those two that we didn't get in the finale episode. I really enjoyed this finale. I thought it had all the craziness and really exemplified the types of episodes I've enjoyed in Gotham so far. Um, and really good season two, I think. Um, much better than season one for me. Season one was kind of introducing us to the characters. There was a lot of kind of faltering episodes that were okay in their delivery and, you know, not as much fun as we've had in this season. I thought there was definitely a defined path that they wanted to go down with when they started the first two episodes and then it changed and flipped a lot um, as they went on. And because of that, it probably wasn't as enjoyable to watch as this season has because we had the overarching threat of Galavan and the overarching threat of Hugo Strange, and now an overarching threat of the Council or the Court of Owls, which we'll see in Season 3. Uh, it makes it much more enjoyable to watch as a show. Uh, I'm really looking forward to getting back to uh, to Season 3, and looking forward to a bit of a break uh, over the course of the summer, which we will I'm be sure, on. Yeah, absolutely. Obviously, but really, really enjoyed this season of the show. Um, I think the next episode we'll probably be back for after this is going to be coverage of Suicide Squad, which comes out in about two months' time, um, and then we'll, we'll crack into our Season 3 start coverage i think uh after that but that's overall our coverage for season two so one sad piece of news that came out just after the show aired in the uk was that claire foley who plays the character of ivy pepper will not be returning for gotham season three um that's really sad news for me. Uh, unfortunately, she's actually going to be replaced by an actor who will be playing a more mature version of the woman that goes on to be Poison Ivy. Uh, what we've really seen since the beginning of the show is obviously the maturing of David Mazus's Bruce and of Cameron Bikandova's Selena Kyle. We've seen them mature from being very young in the first couple of episodes to much older characters towards the end of the season. So um, it is quite sad that they're going to be losing Claire Foley from the show in order to make a much more mature version of the character. John, what do you think about this? Yeah, I, I'm really quite sad, um, both for myself. Um, I really enjoyed Claire Foley's portrayal of, of Ivy Pepper. Um, she mm. really just always, whenever she was on the screen, just seemed to enthuse it with a young Ivy Pepper. She seemed to have a great connection with Selena Kyle, with Cameron Beacon Dover. And... I suppose it was, it was only just recently that I think you had said, I really like seeing Claire Foley uh, pop in on screen. I think that was for episode 21 where Bruce is up by the pigeon coop on top of the, the, um, apartments in, in Gotham and she pops up yeah. and okay, she's only in there for a small scene, but nonetheless, um, it felt right. It feels right that Bruce knows her. But 
they haven't really taken on this character in this season. And certainly there's plenty that has been going on this season. And it's, it's not that I think they've forgotten about her, but then maybe I think, as you say, David Mazous and Cameron B. Kandova as Selena Kyle, they've been on screen much more. You know, you absolutely. absolutely can't recast them. But I think because of the lack of screen time that uh, Ivy Pepper has received in this season, uh, that then I suppose they feel in a better place to be able to recast her. But for that, I feel really sorry for Claire Foley. I thought she was mm. really good. Um, and I thought she had a young Ivy Pepper really da- down and correct how she was portraying it. And I just feel that if she had been more integrated into the stories of Selena and Bruce this season in a bigger way, yeah, then maybe they wouldn't have felt the need to recast her. But I, I, I feel hmm. quite sorry for her. I, I thought... She- I, um, her portrayal of a young Ivy Pepper was great. And if they're going for an older version, um, I, I'm, I'm a bit concerned that they will go for the, the stereotypical comic book look. And that's why they're recasting. I will say, obviously, we only have the TV line article to go by. It's very much uh, a rumor piece, um, very much it's, it's speculation still at the moment. It's been confirmed that the character will appear as a season regular next year and is being recast. And the speculation is that it is going to be a mature character. Um, obviously, we don't know because the scripts aren't out yet. So um, we're speculating about that as well. We don't know why Claire Foley isn't going to be on the show. It is possible that she has something else in the works. That means she's not available for a 22 episode series. Um, she hasn't done a 22 episode TV show before. Um, so it is possible just the actress couldn't return for next season. But she always seemed to really love this character, talked about it a huge amount on, on social media, uh, talked about it in lots of interviews and seemed to really enjoy the character. So um, one of the weird things in Gotham is that they never reintroduced Ivy Pepper. In fact, in that episode uh, that you spoke about, that, that scene in that episode that you spoke about, John, where she's on top of the roof, um, you don't actually hear Bruce call her name or anything like that. She's just a character um, that we should know as Gothamites, as fans of the show, we should know exactly who it is when she arrives. That's quite different to recast um, as a character. They have recast some of the minor characters so far on the show. Um, they have they have been recast. They have been played by other actors, but usually it's a character with either one or no, no lines that have, that they've had in previous episodes. So it'll be interesting to see how it how it fits with the show um, when this character comes back next season. Yeah, it will be really interesting to see what they do with the character now. Will they take the spirit of uh, Claire Foley's interpretation of this character and carry it forward? You know, this kind of scruffy street urchin, a bit like Selena Kyle, who's making her way. I mean, we saw that she has has been developing her mushroom-growing skills. You know, will we see more <laughs> of that? So it will be really interesting. I, I hope they still keep it at, at that kind of level for the mm-hmm. time being, and that we see her development as well uh, into Poison Ivy. Absolutely. One of the things I'd love to see in, in the next season of uh, of Gotham is, again, another expansion to the world. I'd love to see Selina and 
Poison Ivy working together on something completely different, something not connected to Bruce, something not connected to the GCPD, so they can have their own storyline within season two, sorry, season three. Uh, that would be really enjoyable for me to, to kind of expand the world a bit more rather than it all having to revolve around one central storyline. Absolutely. You know? um, that would be, that would be enjoyable. Absolutely. And I, I think just on a personal level, um, I just feel sorry for Claire Foley. But as you say, it could have been scheduling with another job. I mean, it could be a whole host of different reasons. So, um, mm-hmm. yeah, it'll be really interesting to see how the character moves forward with, with the recasting and, and how, uh, the, the, the script writers take it and how then the, the new actress uh, interprets that, that, that work. We do have a bit of feedback to talk through. First up, as always, is our email from Natalie. And I want to just say a huge thank you to Natalie for all of her feedback in season two. It's been really good having uh, having some feedback in each and every episode so far. Absolutely. Uh, the feedback has been so good and um, really um, extensive, but really on point. And I mean, just the 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 wrap ups that you do of each of the episodes um, is so good. Um, and we're absolutely privileged to be um reading them out uh, as part of our feedback session absolutely so natalie starts off with a solid season two finale if a bit anticlimactic of course our heroes would be saved and plots wrapped up the only question was how and the body count seemed to be nil for once Uh, the main reason no one got killed was that fake jim gordon came out just in time to get the gcpd to call off the all-out assault on arkham i liked it that even the random cop that greeted him sensed something a little off about him refreshing to have the doppelganger be not so perfect from the start both alfred and bullock also said something wrong, but either they had not made the mental leap to Jim's been replaced by a doppelganger or were waiting for the right time to confront him. Meanwhile, Barbara, who's apparently thrown in with Team Penguin and still sane, strolls in and asks fake Jim, what the heck is going on over at Arkham? I loved it where Bab's nose it isn't Jim just because of a too quick turnaround back to her and especially when fake Jim called Lee a hoe. Even at her worst and his worst, the real Jim Gordon would never call Barbara that. Babs was perfect for that reveal and for Penguin's gruesome but comical replacement of Grace on a stick. <laughs> Popsicle. But she was brought back inexplicably. Yeah, same point as myself, actually, Natalie. Uh, remember, she didn't take Jim's reduction well and, and acted erratically enough that Butch sent her away. Of course, if she is as sane as, and as together as she seems to be, a few days away might have been enough to, to calm her down. I just wish there'd been enough time to acknowledge it, not to mention her latest paramour's fate. Tabitha's condition is about as much in the air as Captain Barnes's is. Absolutely. Um, two absolute unknowns here. Um, and will they come back for season three? Do they have a part to play? Um, it's difficult without Theo Galavan. Is Tabitha, um, necessary as such? I really hope she is. And obviously you can make the link through, uh, through Butch Gills Ian. Mm-hmm. So I really hope so. Absolutely. And of course, Captain Barnes can come back and, and replace Harvey Bullock. And Harvey Bullock will be more than happy to allow Captain Barnes to take the reins again. Definitely, definitely. And remember, Tabitha is Tigress in the, from the comic book. So the character does exist in the universe. So hopefully we will see her back in the next season. Uh, Natalie goes on to say, and Corey Michael Smith was perfectly manic as Ed tried to learn what Lucius and Bruce knew, loved the game show touch, like a very impromptu version of what the Batman 66 Riddler would come up with. Only, of course, a more fully realized Riddler would then threaten with actual poison gas instead of knockout gas Ed gave them. Nice touch to have select scenes from Bruce's life flash before his eyes as he awoke. That gas was probably the most lethal thing they had on hand at such short notice and actually made some sense that Hugo Strange might stock it as an inmate control option. Yeah, really good point. Yeah, absolutely. 
Strange acted in parallel to Ed, trying to find out what Jim knows by loading him up a truth serum, or as Strange called it, honesty serum. First, Strange did some actual psychology and talked to Jim about the guilt he's been carrying around. Appropriately enough, Strange played as God, offering absolution. Most others would have chosen the forgive yourself route, but it worked on Jim and likely brought time before the serum took full effect. Ed and Strange both stumble upon a problem plaguing conspiracies. It is extremely difficult to ask what someone knows about a conspiracy without tipping them off to the actual conspiracy. Jim is too interested in trying to find Lee to be concerned about that at the moment. Bruce, on the other hand, has realized from Ed's questions that there is an even more to his parents' murder. Someone working behind the scenes at his family's company and wants to pursue it. Alfred thinks that with Strange in custody, the Wayne murder is solved and the young master's adventures are done. When Bruce says no, there's a second counsel, Alfred's reaction is perfect. Ah, oh, bloody hell. All right, then. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Love that moment. Absolutely encapsulates Alfred um, in such a good way, or at least an element of, of Alfred uh, and his character, where he really just wants uh, everything to be sorted out so that he can um, go and about his duties. I, I wonder if there's an element of OCD there for Alfred that he wants everything in its place, mm-hmm. and that means Bruce Wayne going purely to school and not worrying about these notions of, of saving the day. Absolutely, yeah. Natalie says uh, Alfred may now be resigned to his master's dangerous true calling, but he doesn't have to like it. Um, she says that secret council, the Court of Owls, or whatever they decide to call it next season, must be very powerful indeed to have the supremely controlled Hugo Strange in a blubbering panic as his world crumbles around him. It would take a lot to carry a mastermind of his genius and stature. Superpowers are the icing on the already deliciously evil cake that is Fish Mooney. That first face-off between her and Peabody was a great scene between two strong black women. Uh, The best part about her resurrection was always going to be Penguin's reaction when he inevitably runs into her. That moment did not disappoint. Since her caress of his cheek did not come with a command, he just fainted. Priceless. Uh, we had a small nod to the eternal back cat dance awaiting Bruce and Selena in adulthood when he apologized to her for ni- manipulating her into this and she replied that no, she was doing all the manipulating. Actually, it really was on him this season. He needed her skills and contacts. Really good point there. Yeah, I love that Selena is, is not willing to say that Bruce manipulated her into us, that she's saying it was her choice and just forgiving Bruce and saying she doesn't get manipulated by anybody. Uh, nice little touch there for, for Selena. And Natalie says, Selena is in it for herself because she's the only one she can trust. Too many people have disappointed her in her young life. She doesn't have have many friends so much as allies that, that fit the situation. She tries to put up strong walls around her fragile kitty heart and keep everyone at arm's length. Selena wants to believe she's in control of every relationship. Finally, we had hints as to what's coming in season three. Jim's runs off to find Lee, an absence presum- presumably to last not much longer than the season three premiere. Alfred heartily approves the romantic. Fish hijacks a bus full of Indian Hill experiments in her effort to escape. After she abandons it, a sweet homeless woman wanders up and opens the back door. She she loses her glasses as the inmates escape. Her hazy point of view witnessing an escape without tipping off the producer's plans for next season. Absolutely. Uh, Excellent. Well, except for a thank you for one of the passengers of the bus who looks and sounds very suspiciously like a Bruce doppelganger. That final image both intrigues and annoys me, says Natalie. The kid's origin story intrigues. Is he a Bruce clone, long-lost brother, natural brawn-related look-alike, brainwashed experiment? He annoys for the flip side of why I like the fake Jim plot. Too many evil twin plots go on too long and too perfectly. The good news is he cannot be the overarching plot to the season as a whole or either half of the split season that we already know is coming. The season we had was just a whole fun ride. Thanks, Natalie. Thank you, Natalie. Really good to have your feedback. Absolutely. Um, I definitely uh, would say 
the Bruce doppelganger for me is definitely an intrigue, especially if it's based around the storylines um, of, of Tommy Elliot. But I do know what you mean. It can only really go on for so long, but it'll be interesting how it weaves its way into the story and to what extent, if at all. But we just don't know yet, I suppose. Absolutely. Yeah. So where the bit of email feedback this week comes from Daniel Butcher. Uh, he says, seriously, Clayface totally reminded me of Toy Santa from the Santa Claus 2, which really <laughs> gave me my own personal Batman 66 moment. I've never actually seen the Santa Claus 2. It's the middle of summer. I'm, I'm, it's unlikely that I'll watch it, but I know that uh, Daniel has sent me a video clip of that particular scene. Uh, quite interesting that that's what Jim Clayface reminded you of, Daniel. Really good. Um Daniel says his favorite moment was Butch all dressed up, guns are blazing into the bus and police cruiser. Uh, wow, he said, I did not see long-haired Bruce coming. I think I'm a clone now, says Daniel. <laughs> uh, probably. <laughs> and finally, he says, probably my favorite is Selena with her mature straight hair. Alfred has made her into a damsel in stress. She makes it clear she isn't. She did what she wanted and I assume for who she wanted. And she knows she has Bruce's heart. When the series ends, I want to flash forward with Bruce smiling and laughing in the cave with some peace and a costumed Selena hug him. Agent Daniel 8. Yeah, that's a really nice little image there, Daniel. Yeah, I love that moment with Selena when she kind of says, uh, I'm not in it for you. I'm doing it for myself. Really, really good. Yeah, moment. that's really cool moment. And just so empowering for Catwoman, Selena Kyle's character that, um, you know, despite what, um, the, the men think that it's not, simply a damsel in distress that she is able to manipulate twist and get the things that she wants for her own reasons and not for what they think and she's doing it for absolutely exactly yeah yeah thanks so much for that feedback daniel just while i was editing i got a few other emails in uh to our feedback at gothamtvpodcast.com that i wanted to share since we're going on break for a fair while after this so i wanted to make sure i didn't hold them off um our first email was another one from daniel uh, who says most batman media argues that batman caused the villains gotham is really the first to give us a view where the villains created batman as Harvey says, it's Gotham, and now we can see Gotham needs more than the GCPD for a reason. And a really interesting point, Daniel. It's very true. Yeah, a lot of the uh, a lot of the comic books have pretty much insisted that um, without Batman, there would be no villains in Gotham. A really interesting point that this is kind of the flip to that on Gotham. Thanks for that, Daniel. And our final email comes in from Claire Payne, who says Galavan was right from the beginning. Monsters are coming, and they sure did arrive at the end of this fantastic season finale. There are so many great scenes in the episode. First of all, Barbara Oswald considers her useful and she did prove useful and was more than happy to help a dear friend. I'm not sure Borch is overly happy with her being around again. Uh, now we know his real feelings and emotional attachment to Tabitha. Barbara's interaction with Clayface Jim was excellent. Totally agree with you. Really loved that scene. Um, Claire goes on to say Ben McKenzie was a personal highlight in this episode. His Clayface Jim was superb. Alfred was totally confused in the way he was acting and Harvey seemed to accept the Gotham flu has effect on your personality. Normal Jim with Pro Professor Strange and the Truth Serum is a really clever way in finding out details of his relationship with his parents and what essentially had been fueling his recent anger issues. Guilt. I really enjoyed the Hollywood way of diffusing a bomb with seconds to spare and poor Miss Peabody desperately needing water. Lucius Fox was used really well in this episode with Bruce trying to answer Ed's questions to see how much they knew about the goings on Indian Hill and now an opening question who runs Wayne Enterprises. Ed as always is brilliant in helping out Strange and finding what they actually do and don't know. With Nygma still in Arkham at the end of the episode it will be interesting to see if he's still there at the beginning of season three or he solves a puzzle and escapes Arkham. 
Corey Michael Smith is exceptional as the Riddler and his gradual development has been paced perfectly. Yeah, totally agree. Really, really enjoy his performance in this in this show. Back to Claire. She says, Fish and Miss Peabody, I really enjoy their scenes together. Uh, I really like the way Fish realizes she has a power within her hands and trying to grab an opportunity to control Miss Peabody, which she eventually succeeds. Fish's encounter with Hugo was also excellent. He really intrigued me and how he calls Fish his daughter. Fish's escape stealing the Arkham bus and the inevitable encounter with Oswald and Butch. Butch looking awesome with an 80 kilo machine gun and out of the shadows appears Oswald with it and, and the, his determination to bring Strange down. The genuine shock of seeing Fish was really good with Butch running away and fainting Oswald. I think partly caused by Fish's touch to his face is a great setup for season three. Yeah, Claire, totally agree with you. These scenes are, are so good. Really enjoyed uh, good old Butch walking in with a gigantic machine gun. And Claire goes on to say, I found Oswald's deciding where to place his stepmother's head really disturbing but hilarious. It was the serious look on his face and Barbara's advice in getting her placed correctly. Also a clever way of letting us know Barbara in some way she is hanging out working for Oswald, like Selena did in the earlier episodes. And finally Claire says, Every character was used so well in this episode with Selena, Bruce and Alfred discussing the secret organisation that runs Wayne Enterprises. Alfred knows Bruce is not going to stop, with Jim going to find Lee and Harvey told to find the monsters that are wandering the streets of Gotham. This was a really satisfying end to season two. There was no big tragic death of a character. Hopefully everybody will be returning for season three. The entire cast is exceptional, even the guest characters. Hopefully we'll see some of them again. The direction, writing and photography has made Gotham a unique bonkers television show. I know I'll watch and rewatch for a long time. Last but not least, thank you for covering each episode in your own unique way. It's been a fantastic 22 weeks. Thanks so much for your feedback, Claire. Really, really good of you to send it in. It's been great having the feedback all season from you uh, on the show. Really looking forward to getting back to season three when it comes out uh, in the UK and Ireland. Hopefully as close to uh, the US release as possible. So a little bit of Facebook feedback after the episode. There was a lot of chat about that final scene, about uh, about Bruce. That was was quite interesting. The first piece of feedback came from Ben Rush, who says, uh, so is this a clone for the owls, do you think? I reckon so. I, I I think that's one of the the biggest things for me is that this is someone to replace Bruce as head of Wayne Enterprises, uh, so that the Court of Owls absolutely tighten their grip on the the business. I, I mm-hmm. that's how I feel. It really uh, works uh, in into that storyline. But who knows? I mean, it's one of the things. Mm-hmm. Um, we just have to wait till season three. Mm. Absolutely. Uh, Jason Wiley uh, speculates, is it Thomas Wayne Jr.? Interesting idea there, Tom, Jason. Uh, Richard Blaze seems to be similar to myself. He's saying, I wonder if it will be Hush. Bit of a stretch, I know, but interesting uh, now that we do have Clayface. Definitely. Um, that I mean, I would love the Hush character as well. Um, that would be very, very cool, I have to say. Um, just because that graphic novel is one of my favourites, um, it would be mm-hmm. great to see that story put um, onto Gotham um, and, and honoured in, in a really great way. Um, so it would be interesting. Yeah, th- there's so many possibilities. Um, and hopefully Absolutely. they can work aspects maybe of the Hush storyline um, into that uh, type of doppelganger being the, the head of Wayne Enterprises. And haven't been controlled by the the Court of Owls. 
Definitely, definitely. Um, yeah, loads of loads of really interesting speculation there about uh, about that final scene. And thanks very much for the feedback over on Facebook. Uh, if you want to join our Facebook group, just go to facebook.com slash groups slash Gotham TV podcast. And as we mentioned at the start of the show, we did get to go to Star Fury in Blackpool this weekend to meet up with Drew Powell, Robin Lord-Taylor and Cameron Beacondova. Really fun uh, time over there. Absolutely. Fish and chips, Blackpool Rock. All right. And here's a bit we recorded while we were there. So the Star Fury Ultimates event took place this weekend, uh, the weekend of the 12th of June uh, in Blackpool in the UK. It was attended by a bunch of cast members from um from Gotham, from Agent Carter, from Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and from Arrow. Um, we had the ability to go over there. Myself and John went to visit. So uh, we're going to give you our thoughts and impressions overall in the convention. Uh, John, do you want to kick off? How, how did you enjoy the convention overall? The convention was really really good and when i say the convention i mean the whole star fury ultimates uh, event uh, met so many people there to begin with that was just so cool um who we know through twitter through facebook it was a really great community feel i i thought and then the the cast uh, from all the different shows but in particular gotham were just so generous with their time their signatures and their their bodies in relation to the photographs. I mean, they spent a lot of time being photographed, a lot of time giving their autographs, the Q&A sessions that were there as well. You know, really good, but, I mean, really intimate. I mean, the the one-hour Q&A session with uh, Butch Gilzean, obviously played by uh, Drew Powell, who was there. There was Robin Lord Taylor, obviously Oswald. Uh, and then there was uh, Cameron Beacondover, who was Selena Kyle, obviously, or who is Selena Kyle on the show. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the time they spent answering um, fan questions at that Q&A session is way above what you normally get say at New York Comic Con where maybe you get a preview screening maybe you get um, a full episode screening sometimes maybe it is just a screening event um, but you know the panel is normally moderated there's questions primarily that maybe come from the moderator and then yeah. they open it up to to the floor this was very much wham bam right into it and there was no moderator it was really interesting I think maybe they could have done with a moderator, but mm-hmm. it actually made it feel that more intimate because ultimately it was uh, Drew, Cameron, and Robin who were moderating the the event and themselves. And, and it was really interesting to see. I mean, whether they like to do that or not is another thing entirely, but it yeah. actually made for a really unique um, experience, I thought. Um, so that was cool. It was just so nice to get the uh, group photo with me, you, and then obviously the the three cast members of Gotham. That was yeah. so cool. Um, <laughs> I love the fact that um, Cameron said, are you brothers? I can only think it's because of the specs. <laughs> um, but no, we're not brothers. Uh, we can uh, assure that was it. Uh, on that that we're, we're not brothers. But I mean, it's a fair question to ask. We've been asked it before. So I, I found that really, really funny that... You you know, she would ask that. Um, I think, uh, mm-hmm. you know, uh, Robin Lord Taylor, when I went and got autographs um, from him, he was just like, thank you so much for the work you do on the podcast. It, it, we really appreciate your support. And even um, then Drew uh, 
you know, I didn't interview him and he said, Oh no, that's, um, you're Derek's partner. Um, really good to meet you finally. It was really nice, really chatty. He gave the, the fist bump. Um, I just thought they were so, so generous with their time, but so was every other, um, cast member from all the other shows. I mean, you would have said Certainly. the same thing for, um, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. I certainly um, would have said that about the Agent Carter crew. I think the mm-hmm. only person I felt who maybe was rushed, um, and that was simply the volume of people uh, and the shortness of time that they were there for, which kind of, I think, uh, counted for that, was Hayley Atwell. Um, you know, there were so many people wanting autographs and photographs, and then she was taking part in a Q&A, and she was only there for a day. So, you know, really, really good. Um, and the helpers from Star Fury, uh, really good. I think, you know, the two things I'd say that potentially or did let it down, but not, it didn't take anything away from it, I'll say that, mm-hmm. um, is that the hotel, the venue, really was just a bit embarrassing. Um, yes, and I, I have to say that. The Norbreck Hotel, if anyone wants to go there, is not um, in any way the three-star that it is. Um, if you, well, it's listed as, yeah. Yeah. Um, you really may want to see some of the reviews, and you might want to consider staying somewhere else if you ever decide to go to um, Star Fury Ultimates 2 next year, which is, I think, going to be held at the Norbreck again. So there is mm. that. I, w- I would generally give people you know, really consider that um, because the venue was not great. Yeah, I'd absolutely agree with you. The one big drawback for me, actually, I think it did affect my experience of the convention itself was the venue. Um, I wouldn't go back to an event held at that venue again. No, I'd be the same. I really like the setup of it. And just for some of the listeners, just to give you a bit more uh, detail about the actual event itself, what it contained. Um, so there were uh, tickets that were available, where which were gold level and regular level. Uh, gold level got a little bit be- um, more in in the convention over the course of the three days or four days in total, I believe. There was the fan. There was the fan meet and greet, wasn't there, for um, gold ticket members, and they kind of got pride of place uh, in the Q and A up front. And um, so, that, you know, there were some special, obviously, additional extras that they got through purchasing the gold ticket, like Willy Wonka. Yeah, they also got to, to go up front for the um, for the queues for any of the um, the autograph sessions and for any of the photo sessions. So um, so really good, a good priority of place. There was some kind of um, some organization uh challenges with that where uh, two big guests would be signing at the same time or photo opportunities aren't at the same time so um, gold level ticket holders were being called to one event rather than another uh, which eventually worked itself out of the course of the weekend but um, definitely the fan meet and greet we um, we spoke to uh, some of the gold ticket holders who are uh, listeners of the show and, and friends of ours um, who said that that was a, a great moment effectively, effectively it was uh, 10 members of uh, 10 gold ticket holders who would sit around a table and each member of the uh, invited guests would come to their table and talk to them for a couple of minutes uh, including all the Gotham cast and the casts of each of the shows uh, talk to them directly about 
about their shows and um and obviously have a conversation with them which is a lovely thing to have i don't think i don't think it's around at any of the other conventions that i've heard of um it's a really really nice thing to to uh, experience from everything we heard about it um but yeah again as as john mentioned um our photo opportunity was great uh got to got to meet the guys got to shake the hands again and they they recognized us again from uh from obviously their appearance on the show in the past for drupal and for um the obviously meeting uh, robin lord taylor at uh, the other event we were at last week as well so um so yeah really really nice moments and a great community really lovely people that we got to meet over the course of the weekend um but for me I wouldn't go to that event if it's happening in that hotel again. Um, at the very least, staying off site, maybe. Uh, we probably shouldn't have stayed in the hotel as well. No, exactly. I mean, I do think it detracted nothing from the convention in terms of meeting the people, uh, despite the surroundings, because they were just so friendly, happy, uh, and generous. Um, mm-hmm. but ultimately, it was a bit of a grotty hellhole. Um, absolutely. Yeah. And I, that's the only thing I would say is do consider that if you're thinking of going, because some people that would be absolutely the right. Well, I'm not even staying here. Um, mm-hmm. and, and going and having wasted money. Um, it was only because of the community of the, the fans that were there and the cast that were there and how well everyone just seemed to get on, gel, bomb the parties in the evening, the, the cosplay competition, the, the Q and A's. Um, it all worked, but the venue didn't work. And some of the organization could have been much more upfront. Um, it really could have scheduled it a bit better because for some people maybe who are just on a day ticket, they suddenly found themselves with, oh, so the gold are going first this day, but regulars are going first the next day in order to yeah. even out things. And of course, if you've only got one day ticket, then you may actually have missed um, your your autograph signature or photo opportunity. I mean, on the first day, we ultimately didn't get to have our... Um, group photograph because it was scheduled for half 10 but because the single photographs went so quickly it was all over and done with by I think quarter past 10 mm-hmm. so we That's actually right. missed That's it right. and if you were only there for the day that was it they were gone uh, yet the yeah. schedule said something else so I mean certainly um, some of that needed to be ironed out, I think. And I think in some cases, it was actually just down to the venue again, why they couldn't organize it better. I mean, we were queuing through the Q&A hall at one point. Uh, another room was right next to the, the where the cleaners pick up all their supplies and so on. So you couldn't really say have two lines, one for gold, one for regular, and, and do it that way, just because of how... The layout of the the hotel was a bit weird sometimes, mm-hmm. but as you said, the, the guests themselves were great when you when you eventually got to speak to them. They did take a really good amount of time with everybody that went up to them um, to try and kind of uh, have a small conversation, however short that may be, uh, with everybody that was at the convention. So really, well, fair dues to all of them, and fair dues for all the stewards that were really really polite and really. Uh, tried to keep things moving along. There's a lot of queuing at an event like this to try and get everything that you want out of it. So fair dues to everybody that was involved in the actual organization of the event. It was really, Absolutely. really important for that reason. Yeah, 
Absolutely. And I know we divided our time on the Saturday so that I could go and get the autographs from the cast of Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. who were so, so pleasant to deal with, really, really good to deal with. Um, and as, uh, so John could also get to the cast of Gotham himself. So that was, that was, uh, that's an option that you can have if you're, if you're there for the full weekend. Absolutely. Like, I mean, the one thing that really stood out to me was just how even at the autographs, even at the photo sessions, I think the cast still took at least a minute, if, you know, a couple of minutes, it seemed, with each person, maybe a bit more in some cases. You know, if the photo wasn't done and the photographer had to call the person back, they were there, they were happy. I mean, Butch was playing with the crowd, shouting things out. True power was fantastic. It was absolutely hilarious all weekend. Cameron Beacondover was as well. I mean, they all Mm -hmm. were. I mean, it was just so good. Um, and, and that's why sometimes actually it even took longer just because like all the, the cast from Gotham and from the other shows were all spending really nice amounts of time with each fan. It was so cool in that sense. Something very different from some of the bigger conventions where maybe they just don't have that time. Um, and as you say, the, the, the stewards there were really good. I mean, I know I've said a bit about the organization, but the stewards absolutely bent over backwards to make sure that if you had missed something, that they would get another opportunity to either have that photo or to get that autograph or to put you at the front of the queue or for you to skip the queue if you were leaving or if you had to catch a train or whatever it was. So Mm -hmm. the stewards were absolutely spot on absolutely excellent yeah but so for our listeners obviously the gotham fans there's a couple of things that came out of the q a which were great fun things that we may not have heard before about some of the future of the show and some of the explanations of of the characters themselves of what of how uh, oswald got into character for certain scenes or what drew powell's thoughts of of certain scenes and what cameron beacondova thinks of when, when he's doing certain scenes that came out of the q a which were really good fun uh, as john mentioned it was a really interesting idea to not have any kind of moderator to move along the questions um or to to kind of guide the the questions as they went particularly in front of an audience of uh, fans of the show who can sometimes be quite difficult to get up to ask questions um, you know there was a kind of a, a bit of a dead silence at the start because the gotham panel was the first panel of the weekend so nobody really knew how it worked and there was kind of a everybody was waiting for someone to go up and ask a question um once it started once it got moving the guys were really interesting when they talked about um about how they get into their process of the show there was one great question about how robin lord taylor got into character for the scene uh, where he declares himself the king of gotham where he was saying that effectively this was was his first big break being on the show Gotham and after 22 episodes of the show he was standing looking out over the city of Manhattan uh, with looking at the Empire State Building shouting essentially to New York that he is now the king of Gotham the king of New York he was he was channeling the fact that he had gone through so much in his career some really down times just before uh, going into the series of Gotham and now he's achieved a goal and become a lead on a TV show and that's a huge moment for him I thought that was a really interesting one. Yeah, that was really, really interesting. Um, I know I asked whether, uh, Robin Lord Taylor would have liked to have uh, shoved the, the umbrella anywhere <laughs> on Theo Gallivan the second time around. And it, I believe it began with an A, but could have been an, uh, an ear, uh, rather than, uh, any, anything else. Um, Butch said that, you know, when he got that script and he saw, what happened and how it just intensified the the death and destruction raining down on Azrael, poor um, ex-mayor Theo Gallivan, that 
Um, he just with thought the it rocket was, launcher, yeah. with the rocket launcher and the bazooka, it was just great. And in fact, he mentioned that the the MIDI gun that's used, um, it was originally not a MIDI gun, but they upscaled to a a weapon of mass destruction purely because <laughs> um, the bazooka had worked so well, it had been so appropriate that they thought, okay, we'll tool him now with, with a MIDI gun. I think it was just supposed to be a rifle or, or something or a, a shotgun at some a shotgun, point. Yeah. So um, that was really cool to see. We also then asked how Cameron... Um, how she felt playing against uh, Michelle Ventimiglia, who plays Bridget. You know, you had her as her friend, helping her out, trying to protect her from the Pike brothers and, and all the bullying, and then her becoming Firefly. Uh, and uh, Cameron Beekendover just said she loved working with Michelle. Anyway, they really clicked uh, as um, as friends. Uh, and so to, to play opposite and um, those two different types of character being inhabited by the same uh, actor, that that was just really, really cool to do. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I thought it was really, really cool, the, the whole Q&A session. You know, some really, really nice uh, questions. You know, the questions that such as, you know, if you could be anyone else on the show, who you would be, what was your favourite scene, all these types of different uh, questions coming from the fans. So it was really cool. It definitely, and I really liked the little t- the little talk that they had about what's happening in Season 3. They have confirmed we will definitely see Mad Hatter in Season 3, uh, which you may have noticed in the season finale. Um, there is a moment when you see when you do see a hat. Uh, I think it's just that they're boarding the bus rather than when they're getting off the bus. Uh, you see a guy wearing a hat getting on board, so uh, that's going to be really interesting. Um, they also call the character at the end of the show, they call him the Bruce doppelganger. Um, so don't, re- don't refer to him as any of the other things that we may have speculated about during the, during our podcast episode. Um, they call him the Bruce doppelganger. So I thought that was quite interesting and he will be back and will form, um, a, a form part of the show. Um, uh, the final, the final two things they mentioned where they were getting scripts this weekend. Um, just while we were there, the scripts were, were effectively being delivered to their homes, uh, while they were in the UK and that recording and filming for the show will begin somewhere around the 22nd of June. So um, so filming starts really, really soon. The show just finished in the UK and within a week they'll be starting back up on filming for uh, for season three, which is which is really interesting to know. Yeah, really cool. I think that's everything about Star Fury, John. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think, um, you know, definitely check it out um, next time uh, it comes up. Consider the venue, definitely uh, investigate mm-hmm. it, check it out. Uh, but it's a great place for meeting people who... Uh, you may know already online. It's a great community and, and it, it adds something really special, I think, to the convention program because Certainly. I think it gives you an intimacy a bit with the, um, with the cast. I mean, I say that to a degree, it gives you that intimacy. I think we always have to remember that, you know, in the same way that we have, um, uh, our own personal space, so do these um, men and women who are actors are on these shows. And I mean, the great thing about it, though, was that, you know, if they didn't want to do something, um, you know, put on a bit of clothing or get into a certain position for the photographs, or even if, um, you know, it was about maybe asking for a kiss, or something, if they didn't want to do it, they they did, they would say it. And, and that was that. And I, and I think um, in that sense, you know, everyone respected uh, the boundaries of, of these cast members. You know, everyone is different, 
each to their own. And, and I think that goes for cast members as well. And I, I just thought it was, it worked so well and it certainly adds so much by being, um, so friendly. Um, having that closeness to the, the cast with the Q and A, the meet and greet. Mm-hmm. And even with the time that you get to spend, um, at autographs and signings, you know, sometimes they can be quick as well. But, um, you know, there's a lot of people there. So th- there's a real nice balance, though, I think, in, in the main about getting access and time to talk and spend. And I think sometimes for, for a, a lot of people, it's just about getting over those initial nerves of, of seeing their hero or someone who they really like on a TV show and just suddenly trying to pluck up, um, the courage to, to speak to them. But again, they're really, really good with that. I mean, just before sure. I asked a question uh, of the three Gotham cast at the Q&A, there was a mum and her daughter. The mum asked the first question and the daughter wanted the mum to ask the next question. And her mum just nudged her daughter to say, no, no, you ask them. And then the, you know, she stuttered a bit, but the Gotham cast just absolutely helped her along. It was really, really nice. And she ended up asking her question. I thought that was really, really cool. Absolutely. Yeah. They're really, really good with the, with their, with their fans. Um, definitely, uh, such an enjoyable experience. If you see something like it and you don't live in the UK, obviously, uh, if you see something like it in your local, in your local town or somewhere local to you, check into it. You know, the smaller these conventions are when there's, when they only have a few members of the cast, uh, like this one, there actually can be much more enjoyable than some of the bigger conventions or some of the more world renowned ones like the San Diego comic-con or new york comic-con if it has the guests you want to see at it you can you can actually get much more time with them you actually get some time with them rather than just looking at them on a stage you know um, definitely um, and I'm, I'm hoping that they that they maybe perhaps bring one to london that i'd be in that i'd be interested in going to or liverpool or manchester a place that's a little easier to get to, to for us uh, than somewhere like blackpool and hopefully in a better a better uh, facility or a better location as well in the future but that's it for star fury uh, really enjoyed it overall uh, as i said and great to meet um, some of the some of the wonderful uh, Twitter friends that we have and, and have never met face to face before uh, really added to the experience. Getting some of the real true fans that we've been talking to for years, um, getting them together in a room is always good fun. Oh, absolutely! Yeah. So again, thank you so much for joining us for this episode of. Uh, Gotham TV podcast, which looks at the finale of season two of Gotham. Wow. I mean, like two seasons in, a third on its way, uh, at least broadcast and aired in September uh, in the US. And um, yeah, what a ride. Absolutely. Um, a fun, frenetic, manic ride uh, in season two, where we saw the rise and the wrath of the villains. Mm-hmm. Um, as I say, I am still convinced that the tagline for season three is that nothing is impossible. True. We will see it all, I reckon. Um, how many in other Indian hills are out there? Who knows? Mm-hmm. Anything, absolutely anything can enter into Gotham and change their worldview. Uh, but I think thank you again so much uh, for, for listening to us. As always, a pleasure um, talking with you. 
Um, we will speak to you uh, next time when we review Suicide Squad, which is out in two months' time, mm-hmm. uh, towards the end of August. Yeah, really looking forward to watching that and podcasting about it again. Yeah, as John mentioned, just want to echo the thoughts. Thank you so much to all of our listeners, everybody who shares our episodes, retweets our tweets over on Twitter and follows us over there, follows us on our Facebook group and chats to us each week about the episodes just over at facebook.com slash groups slash Gotham TV podcast. Been grateful in getting to know a lot of the listeners and a lot of the people that are involved in the show and a lot of the feedback that we get uh, from those listeners over on Facebook and over on Twitter. And a huge thank you, as always, to my co-host, John, um, for all the work he does in the episodes, his uh, insightful analysis of the episodes. Keep keep it driving as we go. Absolutely. And thank you, obviously, to Derek for all the hard work he puts in as well on the show, but also as well in post-edit. He only mm-hmm. ever lets me touch it um, a few times uh, <laughs> in the year. <laughs> but yes, thank you so much. If you want to make sure that you get all of our episodes, just ensure that you subscribe to us over on iTunes. If you're an iTunes fan, by going through our direct link at gothamtvpodcast.com slash iTunes. While you're over on iTunes, just pop in a review for us. It'd be great to have a review or two while we're off during the summertime. We will be back with future episodes, obviously, for Season 3 and for Suicide Squad. Uh, if you're not an iTunes uh, subscriber... Go on ahead and subscribe in iTunes anyway and give us a review. Uh, but <laughs> if you want to subscribe in any other good podcast catcher, as always, just search Gotham TV Podcast. Uh, we're looking forward to being back with you in the autumn for season three, hopefully, if it's airing in the UK at that time. Um, but we will be back with Suicide Squad then. Absolutely. Thank you so much for listening. We'll speak with you next time. Talk to you again very soon. Bye. <laughs> Thanks for being a Butch supporter. Butch loves you, baby.